God bless you guys at home, man. Thanks so much for tuning in. Everybody here, you guys can have a seat. Everybody here is our staff, so we have some people in the building watching today, participating. But we know many of you are watching from home, and we want you to know how glad we are that you're checking us out, that you're leaning in. Even as a church family, obviously, even though we still can't be in the building, we know we can still gather together. We can worship one Jesus. We can worship one Lord. We can lean into one word. And so we're glad that you're joining us, Faith Church family, not just you, but for all of our guests, wherever you are watching, if this is your first time, we want to say welcome. We're so glad that you're leaning in as well. We say it every week that we believe that Jesus, come on everybody, he is the hope of the world, which means he's the answer, he's the solution, he's the way. Whatever you're going through, invite Jesus to meet you where you are. It'll be the greatest decision that you've ever made. Just real quick, we've not said it, but our goal is to get back on September 13th, so we're just a few short weeks away. Be praying that God opens that door because we can't wait to get together in person and worship together. Come on, is anybody excited about that? Fired up. Well, listen, today we're beginning a brand new series entitled Missing the Point. Missing the Point is this idea. Have you ever been in a discussion or a debate, a topic, and you're talking to somebody and they just totally miss the point that you're trying to make? Like, I think that's happened to all of us. In fact, when I say it's happened to all of us, did you know that that has even happened to God? There are things that God has said to us in his word, and we've missed the point. Like, we've, we've totally missed the main thing that he was trying to say. Missing the point, uh, maybe I can say it this way. There's two guys who were robbing a building, and they heard the police sirens heading their way, so they knew that they were in trouble. And so the first robber said to the second robber, hey, we got to do something. And so the second robber said, well, let's... Let's jump out the window to escape. The other robber said, we're on the 13th floor. The other robber said, this is no time to be superstitious. Missing the point. It's not about the 13th floor. You're going to die if you jump. Again, missing the point. For this series, what we're going to do is we're going to lean into several stories in the Old Testament, kind of controversial stories, stories that have details that make us stop and pause and I think what we're going to find is that in every one of these stories, we are debating and discussing things that really are not the point that God is trying to make. In fact, you're taking notes right out of the gate. Here's what we're going to say every week in this series is that discussions can too often keep us from decisions. There's nothing wrong with discussing things in Scripture or debating over what they mean, but I think too often we've kind of missed the point, and we're so busy having discussions, we're not busy enough making decisions. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if your opinion is right, but your life hasn't changed. What God has told us in his word, he wants us to apply to our life to be the people he's created us to be. And so, again, man, discussions can too often lead or keep us from decisions. Like, you know, you can sit and debate all day long about where you're going to go for lunch. At the end of the day, I want to get a sandwich. Let's go. At the end of the day, we want to have a meal. So God has taught us things in his word, but in some of these stories we're going to look at, again, I think we're debating and we're discussing probably the things that really aren't the point. And so today we're going to lean into one very specific story that is probably the most familiar phrase in all of literature. And I can say that because the Bible is the number one bestseller like forever. And it's not only the number one familiar phrase in literature, but it's probably one of the most familiar, if not the most familiar phrases in the Bible. And it's found in Genesis chapter 1. In verse 1, and it says this, many of us know it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, again, you can jump right into that topic, and just you need to know this, that Genesis, Genesis 1-1 is found in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible. 
Genesis is the book of beginnings. It's where everything begins. It's where human history begins. It's where creation begins. It's where life and death begin. The same way Genesis, the first book in the Bible, is the book of beginnings, the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, is the book of conclusions. Everything is concluded in that book. Now, Moses wrote this book, and he wrote it. We're standing probably about 3,500 years since he wrote this book. Book And what you need to know, and you need to know this probably every time you read the Bible, it's important to know, is that the Bible is not exhaustive. It's selective. When I say that, I mean when, when God was inspiring authors to write things down, not every detail is there. The Bible's not exhaustive. It's selective. It's selective in the stories it tells, and it's selective in the details it gives. Right? Like you can follow the story or the life of Joseph. You can follow the story of Moses. You can follow the story of Noah. And it doesn't tell us the moment he was born and every detail of his life. It'll show us selective pieces of their lives that we can lean in and we can learn. And so, again, it's not exhaustive. It's selective. It's selective in the details it gives. It doesn't give every detail of every situation. So what you need to know as we lean into Genesis 1-1 is that the Bible is not a scientific book, even though it deals with matters of science. So it, it kind of leans into, into sociology and biology and taxonomy, but it's not a science book. And so people, they want to make it a science book. I love Galileo. He said this uh, years and years ago. He said, the Bible teaches men how to go to heaven, not how the heavens go. Like the goal of the book, it's not an astronomy book, it's a theology book. It's not a book about the stars, it's a book about our Savior. Now, that's just important again because when you start talking about Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'm telling you, you can get all kinds of debate and discussion to break out between scientists and religious people, and everybody has their opinions, and everybody's dividing and picking sides. And at the end of the day, I think God is trying to get us to understand something that while people are trying to debate the when and the how, is it evolution or creation? Is it an old earth or is it a young earth? People are missing the point. That is not the point. I don't believe that God is trying to make. And so we're going to go kind of quick. You might have to go back through and listen to this message again, but I'm going to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, get where God wants us to go. But again, here's, here's what we're going to talk about. People want to debate and discuss the when and the how. I don't think that's the question that God is answering. I think the question that God is answering, we miss the point when we tackle when and how. The point that God is making is why. Not when did you get here or how did you get here, but why are you here? That's a much, much bigger question, and that's what Genesis 1 really tackles. Again, Genesis chapter 1, those first three words, come on, say it with me, in the beginning. First three words out of the gate, first three words that God makes sure gets reported, recorded are these three words, in the beginning. Come on, say it at home, in the beginning. The reason those words are really so profound is when it says in the beginning, it implies that there was a beginning. Now, the reason that's important is because for decades, scientists did not believe there was a beginning. For, for decades, scientists believed in what was called the static state of the universe, that it was eternal, that it had always been. And then people like Einstein came along, Hubble came along, and all of a sudden, they began to line what science taught, began to line up with what God's Word taught, that there was, in fact, a beginning. So when the Bible says, in the beginning, it's saying that there was, in fact, a Beginning, there was a starting point to all this. 
Some people talk about this thing called the cosmological argument. Here's what the cosmological argument says, is that everything that has a beginning has a cause. Your, your, my jacket, my, my watch, my shoes, this microphone, they've not always been. They had a beginning, and if they have a beginning, they have a cause. And again, now scientists are in a consensus that this universe had a beginning because God said in the beginning... And so if everything that has a beginning has a cause and this universe has a beginning, then this universe has a cause. Let's go, somebody. We say this universe has a cause. Let's just, let me, let's just talk about this for a second. Whatever the cause is, we're not really sure, are we? But whatever the cause is, it has to be immaterial because it existed before the material universe existed. It had to exist outside of time because time began when the universe began. And it had to be big enough and powerful enough to bring all this into existence. And there's only one thing that I know that's powerful enough, that's immaterial, and that's outside of time. And God's word makes it really clear. Come on, who it is. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. But again, the question is, when? Now, I'm just going to tell you, some of you maybe who are watching this, you're going to get mad at me because I'm not going to take your theological or scientific side. That's not the, you're missing the point. But I just want to lean into this discussion of when and how. We're going to get to the why. When? When was the beginning? Well, some people say it's an old earth, that scientists, the consensus of scientists say that it's an old earth. When I say it's an old earth, they're saying like something like 4.5 billion years old through radiocarbon dating. This is an incredibly old planet. And there's some people that say, no, it's a young earth. And you'll look back and they'll look at Genesis 5 and they'll look at the genealogies and they'll go from generation to generation backwards. And there are some people who will say that this, that this world is only six to 10,000 years old. Well, which is it? Is it an old earth or is it a young earth? Well, I know this. I've changed my opinion. I used to be old earth, and then I was young earth, and then I was old earth, and some of you are mad at me, whatever side I'm saying I was on. In the beginning. Come on, everybody say in the beginning. I mean, it looks old, doesn't it? When you look around, this world looks really old. Well, maybe it looks old because it is. And the consensus of scientists is right. This planet is that old. Or maybe it looks as old as it is because God created it to look mature the same way he created Adam with maturity and the garden with maturity. Like Adam didn't show up as a zygote and the trees didn't show up as seeds laying on the ground. When God made the garden, he made Adam a fully mature man in a fully mature garden. Maybe if God can do that, God can make the world to appear fully mature. Or maybe it's old because of something like Noah's flood compressed the geological strata and it just looks old. So maybe it's old because it is old. Maybe it's just old because it looks old. When? Like everybody wants to know when, but I just want to know when. There's a couple views of creation if you're taking notes. Let me just run through these real quick. We're talking about the when. Some people talk about the old earth and young humanity. Some people say that this earth really is, that God created this earth billions of years ago, but humanity, God created relatively recent. So God put the world in motion and then stepped back and let it spin for a couple billion years, and then the six days of creation took place and God populated the planet. Some people believe that. Some people believe in what's called the young earth. That again, that there are six literal days of creation that took place six to 10,000 years ago that God put this spinning blue ball in the middle of the universe Six days, boom, 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 and we ended up on day six, 
And that all happened six to 10,000 years ago. Some people believe that. Reputable scientists believe that. Lots of Christians believe that. Some people believe what's called the gap theory. The gap theory of creation says that there's a gap. We don't know what happened, but something happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. That God created everything in Genesis 1-1. And some people believe that's where the fall of Lucifer happened. Basically, God destroyed the planet and remade it in Genesis 1-2. And that's where the six little days of creation took off. So, the, the, again, the planet's old because it has history to it, but we're still relatively young. And then there's a lot of people who believe in what's called the day-age view. The day-age view basically says that the days of creation, the six days of creation, if you're familiar with the Genesis story, that they're not six 24-hour periods. That they're, six, they're six ages. Maybe they're thousands of years. Maybe they're tens of thousands of years. I can tell the conservatives are getting really nervous. Well, it says days. Well, it doesn't say days. It says days in our English version, but the Bible's not written in English. The Old Testament's originally written in Hebrew, and the word for day is yom, Y-O-M, and it, it sometimes means a 24-hour period, but more times than not, it means a period of time. And so some people are like, but pastor, we got to take the Bible literally, and I'm all for taking the Bible literally, but let me just tell you, I don't think God wants, to take us, wants us to take it literally as much as he wants us to take it practically, which means, again, it doesn't matter if you're arguing a point, if you miss the point of how it should apply and change our lives. Let's go, somebody. So yeah, let's, let's apply the word literally. Let's talk about when Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Did he mean that literally? I hope not, because I'd have been blind when I was in my teenage years. Let's go. <laughs> I wouldn't have hands. I wouldn't have feet. I wouldn't have anything. That's not what, when Jesus said, I'm the door, did he mean he's a literal door hanging in a house? No. So there are things that are figurative. So when did it happen? Like, that's the discussion. We just need to know when. And let me just tell you, the answer is right there in front of you. You know when God created it? In the beginning. Well, when was that? I don't know. Maybe it was billions of years ago. Maybe it was thousands of years ago. The point is that information is not in the text because it's not a scientific text. That's why we don't lean in, in, I think, times like this. We don't want to talk about speculation. We want to talk about revelation. And the revelation revealing God's word was that the beginning happened in the beginning. Because the point isn't to tell us how old it is or how young it is. The point is to tell us that there is a beginning. And it doesn't just tell us that there is a beginning. This is so good. Well, if there is a beginning, there has to be a beginner. Well, who's the beginner? Well, the next section tells us, in the beginning, let's go, everybody shout those next two words, God created. So again, people want to talk about the when and the how. We don't know the when, we just know there was a beginning. Let's talk about the how for a second. Anytime you talk about the how of creation, all of a sudden this great divide happens, and the divide currently in culture is crazy because... A lot of people will say that there's the science side and then there's the religious side. Is if you're religious or if you're spiritual, specifically you're a Christian, then you have to stand opposed to science, which is absolutely, absolutely ridiculous. Science will tell you we have all the evidence. Uh, Christians have all the fairy tales. And that's not true at all. We very much, everybody needs to hear this, we have, we don't, we, we have, we have faith for sure, but we have an evidence-based faith. 
which means we just don't believe in anything for any reason. We have an evidence for what we believe in. We believe ultimately that our faith is founded on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that 2,000 years ago there was a real person, Jesus, who lived a real life, who did real miracles, who died a real death, who was put in a real tomb, and all of a sudden over the next 40 days he showed himself really alive to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people before he really ascended back to heaven. And now we really have a relationship with a real heavenly father. Let's go, somebody. It's all real. It's an evidence-based faith. The guy who wrote the book of John is a guy by the name of John, and he said this, John chapter 20, verse 31. He said, but these things are written so that you may continue to believe. Why was the gospel of John written? Why were the miracles written down? Why were the stories written down? Why was it written down? So that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life and by the power of his name. So again, this, this discussion or this debate that there's a science side and a faith side is crazy. Let me give you two names, just real quick. Steve Weinberg and Charles Towns. Now, probably those two names don't mean anything to probably most of the people here, most people watching this, but let me tell you who those two individuals are. Steve Weinberg and Charles Towns are both recent recipients of the Nobel Prize in physics. One of them, Steve Weinberg, is an atheist, does not believe in God. The other guy, Charles Towns, is a strong Christian, which means what they divide over is not their science. They're both science. They both won the Nobel Prize in science for physics. What divides them is not their science. It's the worldview. Isaac Newton, who was one of the first guys to sit on the seat of mathematics in Cambridge, was followed up most recently by a guy many of us know by the name of Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking was an atheist who believed that this world came out of nothing. Isaac Newton, who was kind of smart in his own day, let's go somebody, he believed that there was a creator. In the beginning, God created. So the gap is not that there are foolish, silly Christians who believe in fairy, fairy tales. We have a faith-based evidence. Come on, let's go somebody. Like there's things that we believe, and there are plenty of scientists who believe it. So the how. In the beginning, that's the when. How? God created. God created it all. Well, how did he do it? I don't, I don't know. There's lots of people that are on, you know, the, the evolution bandwagon, and that's okay. I, I think, you know, we talk about evolution. Some of you are not sure, like, do we believe in evolution? If you don't believe in evolution, you don't believe in science because science clearly teaches evolution. It's just a matter of what level you believe it. Like, we believe yes to, micro, yes to microevolution, no to macro. Yes to micro, no to macro. The difference between macro and micro is this, that microevolution, we believe what God's Word says, that, that things reproduce after their kind. We don't believe in macroevolution. We don't believe life comes from nowhere. We don't believe in the big giant that one species goes and changes into a totally different species. Like, we believe that a gray frog can reproduce a green frog. We just don't believe a gray frog can reproduce a linebacker. Let's go. Like, my wife and I, we've been, we've been pregnant three times, and, like, there's no time, like, when you got pregnant, like, you know, they do the, the gender reveals now, pink, girl, blue, boy. Like, there's no time we were ever pregnant, like, okay, what do you think we're going to have, baby? You think we're going to have a strawberry? You think it's going to be a goat this time or a human? What, like, what are we going for? I hope it's a strawberry because I like the red, white, and blue salads. Kids are not going to be, all right? Like, no, we know that things reproduce after their kind. 
Ultimately, this idea of atheistic evolution, that God is outside of it, God had nothing to do with it, is the difference. Again, it's not that some scientists have the science market figured out. There are lots of Bible-believing, God-fearing Christians who believe in the science that's absolutely revealed in the world that God created, and they believe in the Creator. And what you need to know is this, is that, again, when you have this debate of how, ultimately, here's what I know is, is that there's no way this showed up without the cause, without the reason. That there's no way, uh, there's no way material showed up on its own. There's no way that unintelligence produced intelligence. There's no way that chaos produces order. There's no way that impersonal produces personal. Those things just don't happen. There's something, if you're taking notes, called the teleological argument. The teleological argument basically is, is this. Is that anything that has design has a designer. If, if somebody found this watch, Apple watch, and took it apart and looked at the mechanisms, there's nobody who would look at this and understand how it works and say, that thing just happened. Anybody who would look at this say, say, would say, somebody designed that. Anything that has design has a designer. Did you know that the universe that we live in, in fact, your, your person, yourself, you have incredibly complex design? It's called the fine-tuning of the universe, that life would be impossible. We had to be in the right kind of galaxy at the right place in the galaxy on the right kind of planet with the right kind of magnetic field on the, in, in the right distance from the right kind of the star. I mean, like you can go on and on and on and on and on. There are hundreds of variables that make life possible. God fine-tuned this universe. So wherever there is design, there has to be a designer. This universe has design, which means there is a designer. Anybody want to talk about who the designer is? Well, you can talk about how we can wrestle with it, but at the end of the day, here's what, here's what I know is. We're never going to come to any kind of philosophical or scientific consensus of when or how. All I know is, in the beginning, God created. Come on, everybody say that. In the beginning, God created. And you can, you can research it. I've read it. I've been reading about this stuff since I got saved. You can talk about it and debate about it. But I think if all we wrestle with is when and how, we will miss the point that God is trying to get us to understand. The big point of Genesis is this. Moses wants us to know that the creator created creation. The creator created creation. And so the big, the big answer that he's trying to give us isn't when and how, but why. If you're taking notes, here's what I want you to hear is if you lose your why, you'll lose your way. If you don't understand that a creator created you, if you miss the why, if all you talk about is when and how, if all you wrestle with is it young or old, is it evolution, atheistic evolution, theistic evolution, like how do we, if all you wrestle with is those and you miss the fact that God put you here with a purpose, you're going to miss the point. I'm going to give you a couple of things. Here are the whys. Here are the whys. I'm going to give you a couple of them. Watch this. Number one, here are the whys that God's trying to give us in Genesis 1. And number one is that God is a creator. God is a creator. We serve an incredibly creative God. When you look at the complexity of design, when you look from the furthest quasar to something underneath the microscope, when you look at the complexity of the design, when you look at the spectrum of colors, when you look at everything that God did, we can step back and say, man, look at what our creator did. We have a creator who is creative. And what you need to know is when you read Genesis, whether they're literal days or whether they're figurative days, what we know is that God intentionally created everything 
everything you've seen, including you, which means this, you were on purpose, therefore you have a purpose. You weren't an accident. You didn't show up by mistake. You didn't come through a series of random, of random mistakes. God created you. God knit you together in your mother's womb. God put his spirit in you. God put his image on you. You have a purpose on planet earth. There's a reason you were born. I don't care what anybody says. You may not have some people's skill sets and other people's gifts. You maybe never got picked first off the dodgeball line. Maybe you didn't score really high on the ACT. Maybe you're still trying to figure it out. But I want you to know that you have been made in the image of your creator and he loves you. He designed you. He called you and he made you. God is a creator. That's, that's the why. When and how? In the beginning, God created. The why is that God's a creator. Here's another one, number two. God's not just a creator. God is a sustainer. God's a sustainer. On the seventh day, the Bible says that God made, God made, God made six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. That doesn't mean that God, like, was taxed out and took a nap. It's not like he had a hard day's work. It's like, I need, you know, I need to get some good shut-eye. God doesn't get tired. David said, our God, he, he neither sleeps nor slumbers, which means he's on call 24-7. No matter when you're up in the middle of the night, you can't be like, I'll get back to Jesus after 6. That's when he starts taking calls. God will hear your cry anytime, anywhere. So God doesn't get tired. When the Bible says God rested, it doesn't mean he got tired so he took a nap. It means he ceased from his creative work. He was done creating the universe. However, Jesus said this. He said, my father and I, we're still at work. We're, still, we're not creating, but we're still working in the hearts of humanity. We're still working in the situations of people. I want you to know something. When the Bible says God's a creator, that means, again, you're here on purpose, but God is a sustainer. That means he's still involved. He's still involved in the details of your life. Sometimes we feel like we're abandoned. That's why God went out of his way multiple times in his word to say, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm always with you. Jesus said, I'm with you to the ends of the earth. It's like when you're going through something, we wonder, am I in this thing alone? Like, do I have to figure this thing? And no, I want you to know, man, God's a sustainer. He is sustaining his creation, which is you. You are the pinnacle. You're the apex of everything he created. And he's not abandoning you. He's not giving up on you. He's not run out on you. He is still with you. He is still for you. He is still in you. And he is still through you. Colossians 1, verse 16 and verse 17 says this. For in him, in Jesus, all things were created. That's the how. How did it all get here? In him. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Stop. In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. That's the way of saying Everything in between. It's kind of like from head to toe. What about the belly button? Yep, that's, that's somewhere in between head and toe. From stem to, ter- from stem to stern. From beginning to God created all of it. This is, what, this is what Paul is saying in Colossians, that Jesus is the one that, that brought it all into being. He is it. And then it says, verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things. Come on, read those last two words. They hold together. Do you ever feel like you're just trying to hold? I'm just trying to hold it together. Pastor, I'm, I'm just, man, I'm ready to fall apart. I'm just trying to hold my marriage together. I'm just trying to hold my kids together. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to hold my sanity together. No, I mean, 
Yeah, yeah, you, you, got, you got something in the game for sure, but I want you to know something. You have the creator of the universe that is in your corner, and he's really the one who's holding it together. You can just have some confidence. Listen, God is in your marriage, and God is in your situation, and God is in your... God is really the one who's holding it together. Come on, does anybody here know that God's held it together for you when you felt like you were falling apart? I wish somebody in this room would make some noise that we have a God who's holding it all together. He is not just a creator. He is a sustainer. Another why. Again, it's not the how or when, it's the why. Another why that God is showing us, because the book of Genesis, the Bible is not about you. Just real quick side note. It's a book about God. It's all about him. Now, we're a subplot in the story for sure, but you don't know who you are until you know who the major plot is. So he's a creator, he's a sustainer. Number three, he's powerful. Again, just, just look at everything that God has done. I, I'm not sure how we missed it again. I'm, I'm, just a, I'm just a sky watcher, I'm a stargazer. We moved about a year ago, and I'm telling you, God gifts us the most amazing sunsets every single day. There's a field right out across from our house. The sky's always, but I, I take... Here's what's crazy. You know the people who post pictures of sunsets? I fight being that guy, but every, every time, because I walk almost every day, and every time I see the sky, I'm just like, look at, um, babe, look at the sky. It's just so beautiful. It's so amazing. God did that. You know what's crazy is these cameras that mankind, you ever take a picture and you look at the picture, and it doesn't look like anything like the sky you're trying to capture? Come on, your man-made, your man-made camera can't capture what God made. You can't do it. And God is powerful. I want you to hear what Paul says about the power of God as it pertains to his creation, what he did in Genesis 1. He says, for every since the world was created, people have seen the earth in the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, watch this, his eternal power in divine nature. So every time I look at what God did, I, I, I don't know how he did it, and I don't know when he did it, all I know was in the beginning God created, the point of his is why is his eye, sometimes I feel like a speck, but I want you to know something, who is really big is God, and God made all of that, and really that's his resume. I told us in the, in, in the time of worship, Psalm 19 said again that, that the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. And the Bible goes on and says, and the sky is his handiwork. It's his handiwork. It's like that's his resume. Hey, can you do anything about my situation? Can you fix what's broken in me? Can you help me overcome my addiction? Can you open that door? God, I've got big dreams. Lord, I feel like you've put something so big on me. I feel like you put a calling on me. I feel like you put businesses in me. I feel like you put books in me. God, I put, feel like you put a big call. God, can I do that? And God's like, well, let me give you my resume. Look up. Let's go, somebody. That's his, that's his resume. That's his handiwork. It's letting us know that the God we serve, the God we were created in the image of, that there is nothing he cannot do. And anytime you question what he can do in you, all you got to do is look up and see what he did above you. God did all of that, and it declares the eternal power of our God. Wow. Let's go. Number four thing I think we see 
that God wants us to see. Now, again, not the how and not the when, but the why. Why or do we have Genesis 1? What's the point of the story? The point of the story is that God's good. God kept making stuff, kept saying, oh, that's good too. He'd make something else in day two and be like, that's pretty good too. Day three, man, that's good too. Day four, that's good too. And day five, that's some good stuff. And day six, when God created mankind, he looked and said, that's very good. God is good. When we say God is good, we mean he is supremely perfect and without sin. I've preached whole messages on that, but I think it also means when we say God is good, that God's good. Like, I'm talking about like, mmm, that kind of good. You know what I'm talking about? Just good. He's just good. And you see it play out because, again, here Adam and Eve in the Genesis story, they're standing in the middle of this garden. He had nothing to do with God planted the garden. He's just like, man, look at this. And there's four rivers flowing through it. It's a perfect paradise. And then he creates, he creates a perfect woman. And all of a sudden he goes from like, you know, God is good. Adam looks at perfect creation. He's like, mmm. There's Eve, a perfect wife, and they come on, everything is just so good. It's good. You need to know that the God you serve is good. And sometimes we take for granted what we have. As people, we tend to focus on what we don't have. We tend to focus on our deficiencies. We tend to focus on our lack. We don't focus on the 27 things we do have. We tend to get down when we don't have one thing. If I only had that in my life, listen, you have everything you have because you serve a heavenly Father who is good. When you see the first sacrifices that were recorded in Scripture that were brought, you see the story of Cain and Abel. And we, what you find out is Abel brought the first, the best of his flock because he knew this. God, uh, I, I may not have a lot, but here's what I know is what I have is because of you. God, I wouldn't even have a lamb if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't even have a lamb to bring if it wasn't for you. I wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for you. God, I have all that I have. I have, I have breath in my lungs. I've got a family. It may not be a perfect family. I've got a physique. may not be a perfect physique. I've got a job. may not be the best job. may not be the one I want yet. But God, I have everything I have because I serve a God who's good. He is not just a creator and he's not just a sustainer. Come on, somebody. He's a provider. That's who our Heavenly Father is and that's the story of creation. It's not how we got here, not when we got here, but why we are here. And we are here to walk in the power of our God and underneath the goodness of our God. And he is sustaining our lives. Here's another one, number five. God is personal. God didn't, unlike what some people believe, start creation into motion and then disappear. God is still actively involved. He's personal. What you need to know in the Genesis story, again, is not how and not when, but why. And what you need to know is that God created you. What is your purpose? Part of your purpose is to bring him glory and honor. That's why you're here. That's your job assignment. You might have a different job assignment from your boss. You might have a different job assignment from your kids. But your job assignment from your creator is to bring him glory. That's why you're here. And part of bringing God glory, part of walking out your purpose is to have a relationship with him. We see right when God made everything, he made Adam and he made Eve, and the Bible says he would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. And we see all the way through every book of the Bible, God's constant interaction and intervention in the lives of, of his people, which again, it goes back to, you might feel like God's abandoned you. I want you to know God wants to be with you more than you could ever want to be with him. 
God wants to spend time with you more than you could ever want to spend time with him. His heart yearns for you. We talk about David as if David was special, and yeah, he was, but I think in order for David to be the apple of his eye, I think really all of us as his creation, because the Bible says the nation of Israel, we're the apple of his eye. I believe that we're all, the Bible tells us, man, we're all engraved in the palm of his hand. God knows the the hairs on your head, come on, they're numbered. God knows everything about you. He cares about you and because, again, he is a personal God. He is actively involved. John chapter 1, verse 14 says this. John 1 says, in the beginning, familiar words, in the beginning the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. And verse 14 says, so the word became flesh and made his home among us. Isn't that awesome? The creator of the universe wrapped himself in humanity to come and hang out with you, to come and be a sacrifice for you so you can go hang out with him. Let's go. What's the creation story? Like, when did it all happen? How old is this universe? How did we get here? Like, what was the mechanism? I don't know. And you can't tell me you know either because there was only one person there when it happened, and that's him. In the beginning, God created. But why? To show us that he's a creator and that he's a sustainer and that he's a provider and that he's good and he wants a relationship with you. Real quick, the last thing we find out about God is that he's moral. After God sets all of creation in motion, he gives some rules. I know that rubs some people the wrong way, but what you need to know about rules, I have rules for my kids not to rule over them, but to keep them from harm. I have rules for my kids not to rule over them, but to keep them from harm. I've set boundaries in their life not so I can be their master, but to keep them from disaster. That's the purpose of the rules, is I know what's best for them. Don't go over there. Don't do that. Don't hang out with those kind of people. What God was saying is don't eat from that tree. Don't go over there. God is moral, and being created in the image of God, God created in us morality. We have the ability to discern and understand right from wrong. We don't do it very well, but because we're created in his image, the part of our purpose is to walk not being moral, but being like our creator. And the more you're like Jesus, you will be moral. Morality was encoded in us. Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and verse 15 says, when outsiders who've never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There's something deep within us that echoes God's yes or no, right and wrong. Nobody has to tell you right or wrong oftentimes. We just know instinctively. Do you know why? It's the why of creation. Because God was created moral and he created you to be moral. So again, I think we're just wrestling over the wrong con- in the wrong conversations. Nothing wrong with debating. I love science has a purpose and has a great significant value in our world. But the conversation is not when. All I know is it was in the beginning. The conversation is not how. All I know is that God created it. The conversation is why. Why did he create you? So you could know that he's a creator, that he's a sustainer, that he's a provider, that he is good that he is moral, and we could walk out the purpose. You were created on purpose, and therefore you have a purpose. 
And so all of you who are watching this, maybe wrestling with some of the big questions of creation, the one you need to know is why. And the answer is ultimately you're here because God made you, God loves you, God wants a relationship with you. And if you'll open up your heart, he'll meet you right where you are. The Bible says all of us are separated from that God because of sin. But Jesus came. The reason he showed up to hang out with us is so, again, he could do a work on the cross so we could hang out with him. He died for our sin on the cross so we could be restored to our Heavenly Father. And the Bible says you can't earn it. All you have to do is ask God for the gift of grace. And by believing, by believing in what he did for you, that's how we're saved. And so as I close week one of You Missed the Point, I want us to just bow our heads and I want us to pray. Some of you maybe need a new understanding of why you're here. Maybe you've lost sight. You've been running your own race and going your own direction. But you need to remember that you were created by a creator for his purpose. Some of you here are separated from him. And, man, you just don't know how much he madly loves you, that he cared enough to create you. He was passionate enough to pay the price for you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, the Bible says, again, all we have to do is put our faith in the gift of his grace. And so if you're watching this and you've never done that, you can just say, Jesus, I put all of my hope in you. Save me. Forgive me of my sin. Help me to begin to walk out the purpose that I'm on this planet that ultimately, that ultimately is to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agrees said amen.